You're listening to Running Down Corridors. Join Martin, Chris, and Abby as they navigate the universe of Doctor Who. Hello and welcome to the latest exciting installment of RDC. I'm Martin and I'm joined by my glamorous co-hosts, Chris and Abby. How are you doing, guys? Hello. Hello. Yeah, good, thanks. <laughs> yeah, you've both been busy doing DIY stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I won't bore people with the, with the difference with, with, with what we just explained, but yeah. Adulting. Adulting, <laughs> yeah. Property development. Yes. <laughs> I've been deciding what T-shirt to put on to record. <laughs> yeah, we'll apologise for having last week off. Real life just got in the way of the three of us. But I was on Ed, the most recent episode of Who's He? Talking about Doctor Who spinoffs. Ah. And Chris, your episode of the Doctor Who community went up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The MCM panel. Yeah, that, that's gone live now. That was good fun. That was, yeah, it's quite exciting. I won something on that. It was on my key ring. I came second, so I got a TARDIS. I can't remember. I think I came second. I've yeah, you did, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but they had like a TARDIS key ring, like one of the old school TARDIS ones that they, they 3D printed. Oh, and yeah. uh, I had that on my, put that straight on the keys while I was sitting there. But I went into the hospital about a month and a bit ago. I won't get into the disgusting details, but it involved them taking away some clothes of mine and they lost my whole car keys and everything oh no and they want to rise the cheeky fuckers <laughs> uh, you know i want my i want my car keys back before you do that it's the weirdest thing being up on that stage though oh it was when we got there it was like it looked like a bully's birthday party <laughs> yeah. You know, it looked like there was hardly anyone there. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Uh, so we were like, oh, oh, thank God. All right, this is okay. But before you knew it, it filled in. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, everyone was sat there. Every seat was pretty, ta- pretty much taken. So, and people were standing around at the back and the sides. So I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Ticking the box. Ticking the box. Yeah, it was a good, yeah. I, I, it felt great just to be on a panel for essentially doing nothing. <laughs> It's getting bullied by Jack. <laughs> you're the guy who wants the jobs, but you're not here to be celebrating those jobs. <laughs> and Abby, you put on a new Doctor Who audio. Yeah, I did. I'd think then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dickensian. Episode two. Ooh. It's been ready for ages. It was just waiting in the wings of TT. But yeah, um, my original Doctor, Dickensian Doctor, has just done her... Second Adventure, written by the lovely Ian Harris and edited by Chelsea Lagan. Yeah, it's a fun one. Go and listen. It's a fun script. I love playing Dickensian, though, because she is just Miranda Hart on crack. She's fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I guess we'll get into Doctor Who news. And I don't know if you guys have heard this, but I was listening to an episode of Staggering Stories and one of the hosts, Adam, You've probably seen him in a meme. He's the one with the head of John Pertwee. Yeah, I've seen him. I've met him as well, yeah. <laughs> he says that he's heard a rumour that Jason Hay Gallery has brought the Terry Nation estate. Oh. But I can't find anything about this online, so I don't know if maybe Adam Ooh. misheard or if the person that told Adam has, has misheard it. They're going to own everything. They're basically the Disney of Doctor Who sweeping up what they can. <laughs> It's essentially just ensuring Nick Briggs' meal ticket. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The man still gets his royalties from the previous ones, from all the Daleks he's done over the years. But yeah, he just doesn't have to do anything else. (laughs) 
Only joking, Nicholas. <laughs> like I said, with uh, Russell T. Davis moving Doctor Who into his house, really, it's just ensuring its safety from the BBC. <laughs> True. So, uh, God, if, Ter- if Ter- uh, sorry, Terry Nation's stuff is, uh, is now under big finish license, I think there's uh, one, it's, well, both things is it's safe, but also it's quite a monopoly. <laughs> yeah, and just imagine if like BBC ever tried to take their Doctor Who license away, it'd be like, oh, you want to continue using the Daleks, do you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. It's just a rumour. We will stress it is just a rumour. So did you guys hear that Anita Dobson and Michelle Greenwich have been cast in the upcoming series? I had to Google who they were. Yeah, I don't know who they are, but I saw it. <laughs> I saw the news and was like, oh, right. I don't know who they are. <laughs> I forget that I'm like a decade older than you two. <laughs> so yeah, Anita Dobson, she was huge in Doctor Who. Uh, Doctor Who, EastEnders. It's easy to get those two confused. Oh, Wasn't yeah. she Angie? Angie Watts. She was Angie Watts, yeah. And then served her divorce papers on Christmas Day. Yeah. Ah, right. Okay, yeah. I mean, I know, I know of that bit, but I didn't know who the actress was. <laughs> Michelle Green, she's in like Ricky Gervais's Afterlife, and oh. she's the receptionist in that. Okay. Uh, I know her a little bit actually, so maybe we could get her on the podcast. Oh, yeah. There's some new Target books coming out. Oh. So we're going to get the Waters of Mars. Nice. There's Saigon, Inversion, Invasion, which we already know about. Kablam. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It'd be interesting to see how they build on that one. Yeah. And Warrior's Gate is getting a target novelization. Oh, boy. What an exciting <laughs> range. <laughs> yeah. And there's some new Fourth Doctor audios in the works. And they're basically, it's going to be Genesis of Daleks and the arc in space, but they're going on the first draft of those scripts, which are apparently a lot more horror-focused. Yeah, they did uh, the, what was, what turned into Revenge of the Cybermen, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they did that with uh, them before. So it's an interesting range to do. Be intrigued to see how they they pull that one off. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because the arc in space inspired Ridley Scott to write Alien. Are you serious? (laughs) He saw that, and he was more interested in the disease side of it and what would that parasite be like no well, that's what's on imdb anyway <laughs> oh right well it can't wow that's that's impressive i mean blind. so will you guys pick these up no <laughs> fourth, fourth doctor audio no i wouldn't mind listening to the fourth doctor audios as such but I struggle to find the time to listen to anything. I've only just got around to listening to yeah, Jago and Lightfoot. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. And I have to say, it is my favourite series oh, I love uh, so them. far. It is just excellent. Oh, my God. I, I, I've never, I've had like a grin from ear to ear just uh, mm. listening to them. They're just so good. I've only listened to the first two seasons so far. And I've just like this, after the first one, I was like, yeah. And I think the second episode of the first season, I was like, this is my favorite series they've ever done. They are fun. They are fun. Um, Book wise, I might give Kablam a go, purely because I'm interested to see how they'll build on it. Yeah, I'm really interested in the waters of Mars. I find that the bigger potential was lost after the episode. So it was kind of, I don't know. I like the episode enough that I don't know what they could build on it. Apart from what didn't happen. <laughs> fair. Yeah, that's fair, yeah. Do you want to come with me? 
Because if you do, then I should warn you. Because if you do, then I should warn you. Because if you do, then I should warn you. You're going to see all sorts of things. Ghosts from the past. Aliens from the future. The day the Earth died in a ball of flame. It won't be quiet, it won't be safe, and it won't be calm. But I tell you what it will be. I'll tell you what it will be. The trip of a lifetime. Doctor Who, Saturdays at 7 on BBC One. Okay, so we're here to talk about where the modern era all began with Rose. So it launched in 2005. Guys, what was going on in your lives in 2005? <laughs> 2005, I was living the dream. <laughs> I was 14 and in school. Year nine. <laughs> no, I, I remember the announcement and everything as it came out. Um, and being excited it was coming back, but I was the only person who kind of knew that it was coming back. No one else really knew what Doctor Who was until it aired. It was just a discussion of, uh, oh, I wonder if, I wonder if that, I wonder if that. And that conversation was just with my teacher. <laughs> That's how popular the show was. We were just talking about, he said, uh, Chris, have you seen what he's wearing? And I said, yeah, it seems a bit plain, doesn't it? <laughs> you talk conversations like that. And then when it came out, oh, that day was exciting. I was probably the most excited I've been at a TV. I remember that day. Abby, what about you? So 2005, I, I was starting to train up to join the Navy. So I was very much kind of at the gym and doing medicals and being poked and prodded left, right and centre. Um, <laughs> but I do remember, I do remember sitting round as a family and watching it, like every single one of us. It, it's not very often that we would sit round as a family and watch a telly show, mm. especially as my, how old was my youngest? My youngest brother was five, I think. So, but he, even he was sitting down watching it with us. Um, mm. yeah, it was a big, it was a big family event and then it kind of trickled away from everybody else but me. <laughs> No, oh, it sort of, yeah, it sort of phased out for a lot of my friends, but not for a good few years, though. I think it was, you know, it was like the pinnacle of TV at the time, especially as, as you know, David Tennant years came on. But I remember that first day waiting all day for it. We were going around, it was because it was the Saturday just before Easter Sunday. I went round my nan and granddad's that evening. We stayed the night, but. I was watching the, the documentary on earlier in the day, which was uh, narrated by the next doctor, David Tennant. And it just built the excitement of what was coming up. Then when it did air, I wasn't sure what I thought of it at the time. I think because my granddad joined in, my dad joined in, and we all sat in the, in the lounge and watched it. I don't think any of us really knew what to make of it because it wasn't the show that they, that we, the classics that we, yeah. you know, that I watched since I was about seven. And the ones that they watched when they were probably about seven when it aired. But it was it was just a a thrilling thing. It was the next morning actually. I went to later on I met my, my mate and we walked into town and you could see all the kids looking at plastic mannequins in the shop windows like they've like they were about to come alive. And that was amazing. And my mate was really excited. He really enjoyed it. And then finally it was like so this is what you've been talking about all these years. <laughs> and it was wonderful, wonderful. The one thing I do remember watching on repeat because I was so hyped advert the, do you want to come with me? Oh, yes. Do, 
it, I loved it. it. It hit all the right notes mm. for me and it was proper hyped. And I, I remember deliberately being like, please be the long version, please be the long version. And when he's like running down the hallway yeah. with a big ball of like explosion behind him. Oh, it was brilliant. <laughs> it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I remember also the next day doing the newspaper run because I was doing the paper run at the time. And uh, it was <laughs> it was uh, Christopher Eccleston has quit. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and it was, and came out the following day. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> what a exciting 48 hours. I was 22 at the time. I still live with my mum and dad, and I was working on the railway. <laughs> <laughs> Around this weekend is when my sister got engaged to her ex-husband. So families wanted to get together. So we went round to his parents that night. Hmm. And his nieces and his nephews were there. And all day I'd been thinking about Doctor Who because I'd never seen it. But I'd heard a lot about it. I knew who Tom Baker was. I knew who K-9 was. I knew who Sarah Jane Smith was. I knew what a TARDIS was. And I just wanted to, to watch this. So I said, can we watch it? And there must have been about 20 of us in this living room. Kids sitting on the floor. And as soon as it started, complete silence. The kids loved it. And that day was when I became a Doctor Who fan. I remember just the forums at that time. Uh, I, I was on the SFX forum around then because of Buffy and Angel and stuff. Oh, the forums around that time. Uh, as that, was, that was the internet, kids. Just forums. There was no Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just a load of nerds posting into forums. And... The amount of people like, ah, oh, it's just not classic enough. <laughs> but, you know, Russell Davis did things right. He didn't make it a classic show. He made it a new show that the new audience would just jump into and follow. And then geniusly laid the, unveiled the sort of the foundation, sort of almost like sort of sweeping the dust away to reveal what was before. And that was the best way. He managed to bring the show back, which was, it was axed for a good reason. It was mm. shit. Mm. <laughs> 26 years and we ended up with what we ended up with. To bring it back and actually win awards, that yeah. was something as well. It won awards. I do think that Russell as well, like uh, everybody complaining that it wasn't like the classics, but I do think the fact that he put the autons in it, you could tell he was like, mm. right, this is being made for the fans. Yeah, he needed a story that was just going to invite people in. Mm. People will follow Rose into this adventure. And that's exactly how it was, you know, in 1963. They followed everyone into this this strange doctor's life. And uh, it was just, just brilliantly executed. I thought it did wrap up really quickly. I think that was the thing I also wasn't sure on at the time. 45 minutes just wraps up really quick. Especially when you used to like three, four parters. Oh, yeah. It was a good introduction, I think, to the show. There were some bits that were a bit that did look crap at the time and still do due to the effects. And that's when Mickey gets sucked into a bin. <laughs> <laughs> that siege and then is replaced by an obvious plastic replica that Rose doesn't recognize. Well, that's the show that Rose is so self absorbed that she wouldn't spot that her boyfriend has changed. Very true. Very true. But no, I really, I really thought it was thought it was superb i remember i think when i rewatched it again i watched it so many times because we recorded it on vcr i so good so yeah i didn't know the autons weren't a new invention for this back in the day i just assumed russell d davis had created them 
So I think it worked because, yeah, you didn't need to know the law. You didn't need to know that these were returning monsters. And yeah, it just, it worked. And I know people complained that Paul McGann wasn't in it, but I think it's the right choice because as a new fan watching it and watching it with those kids in that room and like 20 other people, if Paul McGann had been there at the start, that emotional connection wouldn't have been there. This was the problem with the film. This was the problem yeah. with the movie because nobody knew who Sylvester was and then all of a sudden Sylvester's gone. So I do think he made the right decision not to have Paul because you would have just ended up in the same situation as what, what happened there with, with um, 7 to 8. He didn't want to be in it. He said, there was. why would you Why would you do that? <laughs> there was, yeah, yeah. There's there's no point to show it. for Like, as well, It's it's more of a... It's more of an incident when it comes to Chris leaving as well. Then you know you you kind of yeah. in the same bag as like like when you said they started it how how they introduced in in the yeah. um, in the sixties. So obviously when when Bill Hartnell went, nobody knew what was going to happen. So it's kind of like the same situation rather yeah. than seeing it already have occurred. You know, the reason why the show works and has worked and survived all this length of time although I admit it's sort of trailing at the moment, mm. is it's because it attracts new people. When the show resets itself, it attracts new people. People might have just joined when Patrick Troughton was there or John Pertwee was my parents' favourite doctor and, they, and they, they jumped in. You know, They didn't really watch any of the previous ones as much. I think my dad did, but he was too young to really um, watch them. He remembers bits of it, but he, I remember them the jump, the people jumping in at John Pertwee because it was in colour. You know, likewise, later on, I think that's also why it sort of fizzled out because the same thing is happening now that it did in the late eighties is um, the show. I think since the fiftieth actually is when it started to decline. So it's been about nearly ten years. It focused a lot on the previous, on on the law, on the on the past. It ended up catering just to its fans rather than the new audiences, which is what it was originally for anyway. Because some people joined when Matt Smith started. It wasn't a direct continuation, but it also, you know, it was like a soft reset, if anything. Capaldi just felt like more of the same, just a bit more grittier than Matt Smith. And the real jump star they had was Jodie Whittaker. And they, they dropped the ball on that and then decided to make it more about the lore of the show, which didn't even appeal to the fans anyway. I sort of compare it like Sherlock, really. It's kind of up its own ass in a sense mm. you know it's it's appealing it's only just doing things to appeal to the other which is why i'm sort of glad russell Davis is back because if he can work the same magic of well let's just focus on attracting new let's, let's make a show that new people will watch because the old people are still going to keep watching anyway they keep saying they're not going to watch but they still do <laughs> you know every every week every year we always get the same people going i'm gonna stop watching this show is dead to me it's not the show i like anymore they still watch it, um, and that's the point. To be honest, we're not meant to stick around with it that long. <laughs> True. And there's only a minority of people who do. So if we can attract new people like Rose did, I think we, it will be good again. It would just be interesting. Just be interesting to see how that happens after David Tennant <laughs> comes back. <laughs> You've touched on an interesting point there, Chris. Because when you talk to classic fans. They always say, oh, you know what, when Colin Baker came in, I was at uni, I'd grown out of the show. Hmm. Nowadays, you don't hear anyone say, oh, I've grown out of the show. It's the show's problem. Yeah. 
Oh, that's true. See, people also did grow out of it as well, I think. But that's the point. People come in, people jump off. And that's the point about the show is meant to be accessible. Like, for example, and it was for quite a while, but Tom Baker did it for about, what, seven seasons, Yeah, right? seven, yeah. If you pick a story at random, it doesn't matter about the ones before it or after. Maybe except for key to time, for example. But you could pick out one. Same with John Pertwee. Just pick one off the shelf and uh, you could jump in easily there. That's the point. The show was always jumping on. That's the thing that the Matt Smith era, I think, struggled with because yeah. it kind of had like a running storyline. And if you did jump on it around an episode, you would be like, well, who's River? Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly that. It, when you jump into a show, it's why I... I I probably would enjoy a soap opera if I sat down and dedicated the time to it, but I, I wouldn't be able to jump in without asking a hundred questions, <laughs> and it will encourage me, and that sort of dissuades me from watching it. But yeah, the show needed a jumping on point, and that wasn't in the eighties um, as such. And now, and in this case, they made the biggest one, which was Rose bringing it back to what we were talking about. It launched a show for a brand new audience and it was a perfect jumping on point because it didn't matter if you've never seen the show before. What is amazing, though, is that it to, that the show can show you, actually, we've got about 26 years of stuff that you could watch as well. Mm. And that's a brilliant thing. But it doesn't say you have to watch 26 years of it to understand what's happening now. Because there was a bit of controversy about calling it Series 1. Yeah. But yeah, they called that season 27. I wouldn't have watched it. Yeah. I hear that's what they tried to do with Jodie Whittaker's series. They tried to call it series one, but there was objections against it because they wanted to restart. And again, it was the same possibility of starting it fresh and, you know, and but the ball was dropped. But yeah. Have you guys read the novelization? No. no. So yeah, it's slightly different. Mickey is completely different in a novelization. He's everyone's big brother. And he will take in every waif and stray on the estate. And if anyone's got a problem, they go see Mickey and he'll sort it out. That's cute. It's just hard now to, I know he separate the art from the artist and we won't go fully into the thing. But <laughs> I remember watching, that's, that was one of my things I didn't like watching series one was how Rose treated Mickey. Yeah. And sort of just, uh, you know, I really actually found that quite, quite sad. In the second series, you know, he... Um, Basically, she, she leaves him for another bloke. <laughs> that does happen. It's a crushing, crushing thing. But it's, if it wasn't for the, the revelations about Noel Clark's uh, life later on, which I'll have to emphasize allegedly because of uh, we don't want to be sued, it makes it easier for me not to give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think in the series, especially in Rose, you needed Mickey to be a bit wet. You needed him to be a bit useless because you, you have yeah. to explain to the audience why Rose would go. Yeah, true. She needed a reason to leave, didn't she? Yeah, and if it, if he was like the dynamic guy that he is in the novelization, yeah, it'd be harder to justify her going. Not that a woman needs justification to do anything, but I'm just talking about in the minds of the audience. The novelization is also different because when... Clive is shown Rose all the pictures and stuff. It's all the previous Doctors and future incarnations. But I think it was the right choice to just have Eccleston. Because again, I would have been confused as an Yeah, idiot. too many questions. What do you guys make of Clive? I always love when Mark Benton pops up in anything. Yeah. 
because I think he's just one of those warm faces to see on the TV. And, you know, his character Clive was such a sad ending for him, really. <laughs> kind of wish he had, he'd got to stick around a bit longer. Yeah, I think that's really quite sad what happens to him. <laughs> yeah. and, the, the, his, and his demise is quite shocking. You don't obviously see, like, the scorch mark that must be it, it, representing his face at this point. But... uh that cut and that screams, it was just, it was harrowing, really harrowing. But I just felt really, I mean, he's got a hobby. <laughs> That's all he had. He had a hobby. <laughs> he represents the classic Doctor Who fan, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And the line by his wife, she cares about the Doctor and she's a she. That <laughs> made me laugh. That, yeah. <laughs> That's saying, yeah, this is now for everybody. Because I grew up with the misconception that Doctor Who was only for posh boys. Well, I never thought that. I just thought it was for weirdos in anoraks. <laughs> I don't know why I had this misconception. Maybe I'd seen clips where they're all talking with the RP. Oh, yes, Doctor. And maybe I just assumed it was for kids named Tarquin. Explain <laughs> Turlo for that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm surprised Big Finish hasn't picked up the Clive files. Fair. Yeah, and I know they've brought him back in the Rose spin-off and he's used really well in that. I've not listened to that. If I was to make a TV spin-off, I would do this. I just really enjoyed watching, sit down and watch that episode and then again and again and talking to people about it over the week. I remember that. Do you guys remember Graham Norton popping up? Yeah. I don't. The sound bled from the Graham Norton show through onto the, I don't know, the sound mixer or whatever really? as it was transmitted live. Do you not know this, Abby? No. As it was transmitted live, uh, well, on BBC, you know, when it was broadcast, the sound mixer or someone responsible for the sound accidentally bled Graham Norton's sound over <laughs> over the part where Rose goes into the into the basement, and it's really weird. At first, I thought it was a part of the episode, and then, so, but the more you, by watched it, you could hear it. It's Graham Norton. <laughs> oh damn! Yeah, Oops. maybe I heard it, and I assumed it was Wilson's TV. Because yeah. it was on at that point. Or it could have been regional. Maybe it didn't happen in every region. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I remember it happening, though, and being sort of like, oh, that was strange. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he looking for Nancy's at the time? I think it might have been, actually. <laughs> oh, I should have rephrased that. <laughs> we know what you mean. I'd do anything. Disclaimer, what Martin was trying to say. He's talking about I'd do anything. <laughs> I'd do anything. That's it. Yeah. The, the show where they looked for a Nancy, as in for the for the West End show. It's in the vein of uh, something like Maria, isn't it? I can't yeah, remember. Exactly yeah, exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. It might have been that one, actually. <laughs> Nancy. <laughs> Sorry. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when I'm running on about 2% <laughs> so it was directed by Keith Boak who interestingly is the only director from series 1 to not come back for series 2 and yeah. if the stories behind the scenes are true good reason he mm -hmm. was quite a bullying director from yeah. what has been alleged Eccleston didn't get along with him there was quite a lot of, yeah, quite a lot of um, nasty things behind the scenes there. Yeah, because apparently Eccleston went to RTD and Phil Collinson and Julia Gardner and was like, he needs to go. And they backed up the director, which is what caused him to decide to leave. Yeah. But yeah. 
So what do you make of Doctor Who's original MILF, Camille Kajuri? (laughs) (laughs) I will say this. What has Russell T. Davis got against mums? Because all of the mums he writes, you look at like Donna's mum, Rose's mum. They're all kind of like nagging. What has he got against mums? I don't know. Well, with Jackie, I think he's got it because she's awesome. Yeah, she's amazing, but she does nag. She's got a, like you know, she's the one who orders the Jaegers at the bar and from strangers. You know, there's a strange man in my bedroom. Oh yeah, she's yeah. You know, she's. Uh, I don't think she nags as much. I mean, Martha's mum is just a prudy, just a strict woman. <laughs> Donna's mum is a is just a whole battle axe, isn't she? <laughs> God almighty. You know, he just belittles her daughter at every turn. She comes into her own after Rose, obviously, because we don't want to know too much about her in that episode anyway, because she's not the main focus. But Mm. it's nice that she's there. She's kind of the comedy relief in that episode. The fact that they, yeah, the fact that they bring her back, you know, that was something I quite like. Some people, I'm sure... We did a, a negative review where someone said this is just a soap opera in space, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and uh, it, it kind of was, but it it added that sort of realistic touch that Doctor Who never did before. Because if you think about it, he's kidnapped a lot of people. Yeah, you know yeah. there are some of them who have never returned to Earth again. Some people have never <laughs> seen where some of them have turned up. You know, if I think Joe Grant got off lucky, she you know she went and got married and left. Some of them have never come back. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, if you look at Tegan, she went missing during an active police investigation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? And then, yeah, no wonder why her job didn't work out. She comes back. That's a lot of baggage. <laughs> no pun intended. To carry Where along. have you been? Oh, I can't say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, so it's 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 really strange. <laughs> but the idea, but I found that a brilliant idea was the fact that. They've actually not been gone for just a few minutes. They've actually been gone a whole year. And uh, then the mum's like, they've had like missing posters. They thought she was murdered. Mickey was arrested and interviewed as a murder suspect. Oh, that's so dark. That yeah. storyline. Yeah. But then Jackie was just, you know, uh, like the, the bits where she just goes, stitch this, mate. <laughs> it's just great. She came into her own in that episode, but yeah, no, I think she's, I think she's great. Uh, I really like uh, Camille Kaduri. I think she's, she's fantastic. So we should talk a little bit about Billy Piper because her casting was really controversial. Yeah, I remember because I was mm. one of those kids that used to dance around. Why did I play that song so loud? I was one of those. Me too. Um, <laughs> with a little butterfly clips in my hair. Honey to the bee. And- yeah, and when she was cast, it was like, but she's a singer, like. What? I don't understand. She wasn't even a singer at the time. She no. was this washed up former pop star. Yeah. Yeah. Was married to Chris Evans. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I just remember her name coming up and being like, <laughs> I recognise that name. Where do I know that name? Oh, really? Okay. But it was kind of the same thing when um, Catherine Tate got cast. It was kind of a, really? We always get proved wrong. So... <laughs> I didn't, yeah, I didn't really know who she was as such, apart from, hang on, did she sing Honey to the Bee? <laughs> that was it. And I had that on, on album, one of the Top of Pop's albums. <laughs> Whenever they release a Rose toy, they have to release her with another character because some pervert in the 90s brought the rights to a Billy Piper doll. 
What? Oh, why should we call him a pervert? That's that's libelous. What? <laughs> we won't call him a pervert. We'll call him a seedy individual <laughs> <laughs> with questionable actions. So yeah, they always had to release Rose with another character so oh they could say, God. "No, this is Rose." Good God! <laughs> Amazing! Amazing! 2002 to 2004, all the papers were about her and Chris Evans getting coked up in Ibiza. <laughs> Chris Evans got fired from the radio station he owned because <laughs> there was a two-week period where 3 a.m., high on coke, him and Billy Piper decided just to go to Ibiza and he didn't show up for his radio, his radio show for two weeks. <laughs> Bloody hell. But yeah, I remember being like, really? That, that's a weird casting. And I remember all the forums kicking off about it. I know they went for, the key phrase they said was that Russell was going for a Buffy type of character. Some, so someone who could kick ass a little bit. RTD's first era is Buffy. I've never actually seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer. What? Yeah. <laughs> I never found the interest on in it and never watched it. <laughs> Buffy was my Doctor Who growing up because that started when I was 16. So I was the same age as the characters. I think Angel's a stronger show. But yeah, Buffy's brilliant, mate. Uh, I've left it too late now. It, <laughs> it's one of those shows that you, you, you can't watch it and enjoy it for what it was. <laughs> you would pick up on all the stuff Doctor Who borrowed. Oh, I imagine so. I imagine so. And if you watch Angel, you pick up on all the stuff Tortured borrowed. <laughs> all right. Okay. What about, like, Chris? First impressions as him being a doctor? He was what got me to watch. Because, again, I had this misconception... Doctor Who was for posh boys. And when you see this northerner in a leather jacket and a shaved head, it's like, okay, it's not a show for posh boys. I didn't even know he was northern. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen him before in anything. I sort of read up and heard he was in a show called Cracker. He did Our Friends in the North. Never seen them. They were just clips they put together on a, on a website to sort of highlight who he was and what he'd done. And I was like, oh, okay. So I didn't know. Gone in 60 seconds as well. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he remembers and enjoys that memory. <laughs> but no, I quite enjoy I, I just took it for what it was. No, he's very good. I think the one thing he said in an interview, which really struck me, actually, was about his outfit, because they criticized his outfit being quite plain. Mm. And he said, well, I'm just going to do that in the acting. He's alien in a, in a different way. You know, sort of thing like that. More focused on I'm going to play him as an alien more than the clothes need to be. We shouldn't. We, uh, and I was like, oh, fair enough. You're right. You convinced me. I'll give it a go. And yeah, no, he, he sold it. I think it is what made the mainstream audience tune in because as much, I think Matt yeah. Smith is the best of the modern era. But if Dad had Matt Smith in Rose with the tweed jacket and the bow tie, I don't think I would have watched it because I would have thought, oh, yeah, this is the posh boy. The posh boy stuff again. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think because it was kind of starting afresh, it was quite nice to have a different POV of the Doctor because obviously the last one we'd seen was Paul McGann in theory. That's the other thing they also did quite well. Although now, and that seems to have seems to be a big finishes meal ticket for a number of years is the war, the time war. Mm. Um, they made a narrative as to why it's so, and to, to separate it from the old one, so it explains why there's differences as well. I don't even think you needed to do that, but it kind of worked, I suppose, because it 
it sort of severed any ties in the continuity that was expected. From an outside mm. perspective, the fact that the Doctor Who hadn't been on screen for a length of time, it was establishing the fact that stuff has happened, yeah. but you've not seen it. During that period when it's not been on the telly, the Doctor's still been being the Doctor. Yeah. You know? It kind of, for me, it kind of went, oh, there has been stuff going on, you know? So I quite like that. It was a genius move. It confused me at the start because I assumed that the Time War had been in a previous series that I just hadn't seen. I had one friend that was into Doctor Who and I said to him, oh, what episode should I watch to find out about the Time War? And it's like, they don't exist. <laughs> now it's everywhere. <laughs> now it does. <laughs> I'm actually bored of it. I'm actually really bored of it. Yeah. Susan's War is really good though. I've finish. not listened to any oh, yeah. of the Time War stuff, so... Um, some of the things work out well. I've listened to, as Martin knows, the, uh, John Carley's, Jonathan Carley's War Doctor Begins sets. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that fourth set is absolutely phenomenal. Probably the, it's, it's, it's the best Time War story they've done. And I think it's absolutely amazing. The rest just seem to dull it, nullify it a little bit or make yeah. it less interesting than it, than it perhaps was. Yeah, they're dragging it out. I think it kind of, well, I mean, one of the episodes of like the Paul McGann ones where he, where he's basically like he's in the, in the barracks. <laughs> so you've got food fights in the mess hall and sort of things like that. And it's just like, you sort of just turned this war into just a standard, you know, like a, like the wars and on earth. I just don't find this interesting. Hmm. I thought it was, you know, it was, played fine in the 50th because that's all we needed to know time lords went uh, went mental and we're gonna and uh, the doctor ended up killing everyone just to stop it all yeah or so we thought (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think it was the right move this is the perfect reboot can't floor this episode at all I think that actually the Time War side did actually give an intrigue to older fans or existing fans for a reason to stick around, to sort of find out what's going on. Because that was something they added as well, was an overarc, uh, arcing story or some, you know, there was a continuous storyline in the background. It wasn't quite, it didn't matter necessarily which, or, you know, the main story you'd sit and watch, like The Empty Child or Rose, and it didn't matter. It was like when he blows up at the Dalek, isn't it? Yeah, it didn't overshadow too much which is what's happened later on. The story arcs ended up overshadowing the individual stories and it became a point of like you're basically watching a piece of a puzzle rather than a single story with some loose threads, you know. I think actually it caused some intrigue because the next episode we had, uh, you know, it unveils more that there was a war. You see the Doctor cry when he's asked about his own people, you know, and that sort of thing. You're like, oh, what's going on here? And So I think it was a clever move really to try and, one, separate the continuity and two, to keep older fans somewhat interested <laughs> whilst also new fans also jump in at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the, the difficulty I had after Rose was I wanted to dip my toe into the pool of Classic Who, but they weren't releasing the DVDs in order. They were releasing the ones they knew would sell. So I didn't know where to start. So I went back to the 1996 yeah. TV movie because I thought, well, I know that's one and done. So I'll, I'll start there. Yeah, very, very true. All right, guys. I'd say that about wraps it up for this episode. Yeah. We'll be back next week when we portrait <laughs> everything changes. You've been listening to Running Down Corridors. RDC is part of the Bad Wolf Network. Visit badwolf.com for information on all other shows. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast app of choice, like this one from Squirtus Lartfest. 
What a wonderful podcast. Abby is a great addition. The three hosts have great chemistry and are funny, interesting, and informative. I adore every episode. Five stars. That's it for us this week. We'll be back next Sunday talking about Torchwood. Everything changes.